Well, we began a journey through the first chapters of Luke, and we're going to continue that journey now here in the middle of Advent season. I want to begin in Luke chapter 1, and you recall how the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth would have a son. They were to name the son John, which means God is gracious. Now, that message was a little much to take in. And so Zechariah was a bit doubtful, and he wanted some sort of sign to prove that the angel's word would actually come to pass. So he got his sign. He was told he wouldn't be able to speak again until his son was born. Fast forward six months. Here we are, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote the name. He wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard about this this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Well, Luke doesn't long leave us in doubt about who this child is going to be. And he tells us that Zechariah began to speak under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, speaking both of Zechariah's son, John, but also of the one to whom John would bear witness. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, "'Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them.'" He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he through his holy prophets, or as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. This one who is to come, the one to whom John would bear witness, that's the one to whom Zechariah bears witness now. And he tells us that this one is coming to bring the salvation of God. And you notice he puts it in the past tense. Calvary is still 30 years in the future, and yet Zechariah, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is saying that God has redeemed us. He's already brought it to pass. 
Scholars sometimes call this the prophetic past tense. The idea is that though redemption is still in the future, it is so certain to come to pass that it's as good as done. God has determined to save and what God determines to do, he's going to do. So you can speak of it as something in the past. Redemption itself, that word is a power word. It's a word that goes back to how God bared his arm and smashed Pharaoh to deliver Israel out of Egyptian bondage. It's a word that appears time and again when God intervenes in saving power to deliver his people. And we're told in this passage how Messiah is coming, this horn of salvation, and that's power language too. Because in the ancient world, The horn was a symbol of power. Think of two rams that are going to battle, lowering their heads and rushing toward each other with their horns banging against each other. The horn of salvation is the power of salvation, and Messiah is that. He has come with power to save and deliver us. Now, all this comes through Zechariah as he's inspired by the Spirit. But then he turns to his own son, John, verse 76, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins." because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Messiah comes and brings forgiveness. The Greek for forgiveness there is aphesis. Its primary meaning is to release or to liberate And in this context, it means that people are released from their burden of guilt, released from the threat of punishment. Anyone, anyone can excuse and rationalize sin, but only Jesus can remove the guilt and the punishment of sin. And that's what he does. And that's why he's called the rising sun that marks the dawning of a new day for people who are languishing in the darkness of death. That's why he's, you might say, the incarnation of the tender mercy of our God, because it's through Christ that we're led out of despair into a place of peace and well-being. Luke finishes by saying, the child grew, he means John, grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. There's so much in this passage, so much gospel in this passage, but I want to focus on one particular truth, one that we sometimes miss. We so often talk about forgiveness, and understandably so. Apart from God's forgiveness, there's no hope for us. We all know that. But you notice how power is front and center here, how God, in keeping his promise to Abraham, fought for his people, fought against their enemies, delivered them, and in fact, delivers us from all our enemies, whether human or not. For as Paul said, we battle not simply against flesh and blood. And so this passage speaks 
of power. And that is in the very heart of the gospel. So many people live with despair, despair over themselves, a hopelessness, thinking that they can never change. They've tried and tried and tried and failed again and again. They think, that's it. There's no hope for me. But the gospel says there is hope because Jesus Christ is a powerful Savior. Jesus Christ, with his might, can redeem and does redeem. You see this all through the Gospels. One time Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee and he came to a region on the far side where a man used to live among the hills and among the tombs. It was the region of the Gerasenes. This man no longer lived in town. He had lost his mind. We don't know why. We don't know all the background, but we know this man was possessed by powers he didn't understand, and people were afraid of him. They saw him as a threat to themselves, but also to himself. They tried to chain him, hands and feet, but he would break the chains and run free. Now he no longer lived in town. He was out in the wilderness, as I say, in the tombs where the remains of the dead were, and he was a kind of living, dead human being. He would cry out, day and night, and he would gash himself with rocks until he bled. This was a man, this was a man tormented and a man who was his own enemies, hurting himself, harming himself. Jesus crosses into this region and the man comes running up to him. He's babbling, he's crying out of his torment and Jesus delivers him. He sets him free. He drives out the spirits, and the man is set free. When the people from the town came out to see what was happened, they were shocked. They found this man clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and in his right mind. Sophroneo in Greek. That means to be of sound mind and even emotions. It speaks of mental health. Here was this man who, by the reckoning of everyone, was a lunatic. He couldn't be controlled, and he couldn't control himself. But by the power of the Redeemer, he was set free and brought to, to health. He was changed. He wanted to follow Jesus. He, he didn't ever want to be separated from him again. But Jesus said, no, you go back to your own town, to your own people, and you tell them everything God has done for you. And that's exactly what he did. That's what Jesus does in our lives. He is a powerful Savior who is able to overcome the forces that oppose us. And he's able to overcome those those compulsions and those troubles and those sins that we in ourselves cannot overcome. He intervenes. That's why when we talk about good news, it's really good news. He can do that. Some years ago, I wanted someone to, to make a cross for me. It was a gift that I wanted to give to a church where I had served as interim pastor. I didn't know who might be able to do it. I asked a few people, and they told me about a man named Raymond. They said, he's a good carpenter. He could do it for you. So I got his address, and 
After making an appointment, I went by to see him. He worked in his garage. It was a detached garage. It was fairly large, but when I walked in, well, it wasn't this nice, clean workshop. There was, there was stuff everywhere. There were tools everywhere, saws, a bunch of, a pile of, of castaway wood over in the corner. I looked at it, trying to assess this guy. Can he really do good carpentry? And I looked at that pile of wood, and I wasn't so sure. And he saw me looking, and he said, you'd be amazed what you can make out of trash. It's an interesting thought told him I wanted, I wanted a cross. I described it for him, and he said, I can do it. I want to do it. Let me tell you my story. He grew up in a home that was filled with dysfunction and violence. His father was abusive when he was around, which wasn't very often. His mother drank herself into a stupor and spent most of her days sleeping on the couch. Raymond and his brother ran wild. And he said, our entire home was chaotic, always chaotic. It was, it was miserable. Things got better, he said, when I was drafted into the army and sent to Vietnam. Did you hear that? He said, it was better than living at home at least at first, because in Vietnam, he began to drink, he began to use drugs, and he developed a vicious habit that he couldn't shake. When he was back in the States and out of the military, he got married, but the drinking habit stayed with him. And he said there were times that that he couldn't function at all, but most of the time he would manage to to more or less function but get in lots of trouble and harm a lot of relationships. He said, typically I'd drink a fifth of whiskey a day, sometimes more. There would be times when my wife would threaten me, say she was going to leave if I didn't stop, And I would decide, okay, I'm going to stop. And I'd tell her I was going to stop. And I would stop for a little while and I'd start going to AA. But it wouldn't be long before it would come back and get a hold of me. And I'd be back drinking again. He said, my life was spiraling down. Finally, my wife left me, took our daughter with her. And I'm alone. And my drinking got yet worse. And I couldn't stop. I swore off it again and again, and I couldn't stop. Finally, I came to the point, I was drunk and started thinking about suicide. And he said, out of the blue, I found myself praying. I said, God, even you can't help me now. And he said, it wasn't like a voice, but just in my head, just in my head, the thought just came. I can and I will. He said, at that moment, at that moment, I felt God was with me, that God would help me. He said, it wasn't easy, and I've had a lot of slips along the way, but I started going to AA again. I started going to church. I gave my life to Jesus Christ, and the power of God has changed me. He said, I haven't had a drink for years, 
I have, he said, my marriage is gone, but I have a good relationship with my wife and with my daughter. In fact, he said his daughter was going to be coming by for lunch later that day. But he said, I was changed by the power of God. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't stop. But Jesus intervened and saved me. Wow. Wow. It wasn't easy. It wasn't instantaneous. But the power was real. I said, Raymond, I talk with people a lot. I talk with them in counseling sessions. I talk when I preach various churches. I'd like to tell your story if you'd let me tell it. He said, sure. I said, well, if I tell it, I want you to tell me what you want me to say to people. He thought for a minute, and he said, tell them, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Because he was in such a deep hole He couldn't do it apart from God and the grace and power of Jesus. Now, you might think, well, you know what? I've prayed. I've asked God to deliver me before, and I'm still struggling. I get that. I get that. In a sense, we all live with that. Remember, these promises were made to Israel, and God was with Israel, but Israel still lived in hope. Israel still had to deal with enemies. Israel still suffered oppression from the Romans at this very time we're reading. So I get that. We all experience that. But but the fact is, Jesus truly is the way, and he does have power, and he will use it for you. Do you remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration? While he's there and the glory of God is manifested, there's a man who brings his son who's tormented by an evil spirit. The sun would fall out in convulsions at odd moments, and it would threaten his life. And and this man brought his son to the disciples who were down at the foot of the hill and asked them to deliver the son. Well, they had been given authority by Jesus to cast out spirits, and so they thought they could, and they tried, and nothing happened. Jesus came down and asked a very interesting question. He asked, how long has he been like this? How long has he been like that? That's an interesting question. Why does he ask that? I've consulted 15 commentaries. Nobody, nobody has an explanation for why he asked that. And in fact, very few, I don't know, one or two maybe, even try to speak to the issue. But Jesus drives out the spirit and the boy is made whole and then the disciples follow him inside, and they said, why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus said, this kind kind comes out only by prayer. Some of your translations, the older ones, might say prayer and fasting, but the fasting is, is almost certainly not in the original Greek. It was a later manuscript that was added by copyists. So Jesus says, this kind only comes out by prayer. Now, that's curious because Jesus, when delivering the boy, didn't pray. He just gave the word of command. When he sent his disciples out to cast out spirits, they gave the word of command. And yet Jesus here is talking about prayer. What is that about? Well, I really don't know. But I have an idea. Why does Jesus ask him, how long has he been like this? 
since childhood. You know, there are some problems that are so deeply rooted that have been with us for a long time that become part of our image of ourselves, the way that we live. It's part of our relationships with other people. We've adjusted to it. We've, we've been molded by it. It is so much a part of us, it's not easy to pull that out, to untangle it all, to get free of it. Jesus says of this boy who had been in this state for a long, long time, this kind only comes out through prayer. But what does he mean by prayer? I think he's talking about not just prayer in that moment, but a relationship with God, a faith relationship with God and a way of walking with God. I think he's talking about the prayer that is as deep and persistent as the problem itself. It's this turning to God and seeking God, knowing that if only you can reach him, you'll be free. Knowing also that it's really not a matter of reaching him since he's reached out to us. It's a matter of opening ourselves to him. I don't have all the answers. I certainly don't have all the answers, but I do believe that if we seek God in prayer, deep prayer, persistent prayer, as deep and persistent as the problem itself, our powerful Messiah will set us free. Now, listen, there are different ways that that happens. Rarely does it come in just a miracle in the moment. Usually there's a process involved, like it was with Raymond. I mean, he goes to AA. He starts working things to, to try to change his life, but the Lord is strengthening him to do it. So it's not all at once. And it can also be, at least, at least until the Lord comes, it can also be where we feel our weakness and we have to cling to Jesus, even when it's hard. Think about Paul with the thorn in the flesh. He says that, a thorn in the flesh was given to him, a messenger of Satan. That's weird language right there. That's weird language because he's saying that something was given to him. It's like a gift from God to keep him from becoming proud and conceited, he says. He was given a thorn in the flesh, but it's a messenger of Satan. So on the one hand, it's an evil thing. On the other hand, God is using it for good in his life. So he prays, God, I don't want this. Set me free. And the Lord says to him, what? My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I know a woman who teaches theology who since her 20s has, has dealt with a very severe case of bipolar depression. It is something that has haunted her and she had deep struggles with it. Today, with medication and carefully attending to, to her spiritual life and her, her schedule and being careful about how she lives very intentionally, she is able to live well and even have joy. But 
But, 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 she knows this depression is always right there in the shadows. It's always right there. And she knows at any moment it could jump and take her and she could be back in the pit. That's why, that's why she continues to take her medication. That's why she continues to stay close to Jesus. That's why she doesn't let herself get exhausted. That's why she eats well. She does all these things. My point is this, that the Lord has not seen fit to heal her. There's something wrong with her body that makes her susceptible to this depression. And yet, though the Lord hasn't healed her, the Lord has given her strength. And she is living a good life, a life in which she is a blessing to others, and she herself knows blessing. There are times when you do live in a place of vulnerability, but the Lord's strength more than compensates for it, and you're able to live in his power, remembering that the treasure we have is in earthen vessels, and the power that works in us is not of this world, but of the kingdom of God. All of these things are true. So I realize that you might struggle, you might battle, there, you may say, I've prayed before and I still deal with this problem or that. I grant that that can be the case. But if you will turn to Christ, he is the powerful Savior. If you'll pray deeply and persistently, know he's the powerful Savior. It may be that, that you have to Find strength in your weakness by holding on to Christ. Or it might be that God will do a miracle. But we as Christians believe that God is powerful, that God changes us. It's not just a matter of being forgiven. It's a matter of being born again. If you've not been born again, this is the season. This is the season. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. Jesus can be born in you. If you, will, if you will turn away from pursuing your own life in your own way, and you'll put your faith in Christ, what does that mean? It means that you believe in him and you stake your life on it. That's what it means. You put your faith in Christ, then the strong Redeemer will save you. He will. And what you cannot overcome in your own strength, he will help you overcome. In one form or another, he will be with you. You can believe that. You can trust that. If you're a believer and you have struggled for so long, don't you give up hope. God hasn't given up on you. Don't you give up on him. He's with you. He's with you. He'll be strong in you and for you. Amen. I want you to pray with me now. We're going to close in this way. I want you to pray with me. I want you to, to just open your heart to God. Is it too much to believe that God is present right now, that God will respond to faith as he always has, that that God is mighty still and that Christ is the Redeemer? Is it too much to believe? 
There's hope for you. Do you need healing deep in your soul? Do you need him to put right what's wrong in you and free you and liberate you from bondage? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your presence with us. And we acknowledge your power to save. And Lord, we turn to you in prayer because we know that you are the Savior of us all. And what no human being can do for us, you can. What no human being can do for our loved ones, you can. And so we look to you as the Savior who can overcome all our enemies. Lord, would you bring life and freedom right now to those who are opening their hearts to you, who are reaching out to you? Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you give them new strength, a strength beyond human strength, a strength that enables them to continue on, to persevere, but also to triumph? And Lord, would you also in this moment save those who are turning to you seeking new life? They want to be born again. They're tired of living their own life, their own way. They don't like what it's brought them to. And their hope is in you. Lord, would you save them now? Would you touch them now, we pray. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.